G'day, mate. 40 here. It's just a spectacular beach day here in G. And we, we got some monster waves, some big surf. What better time to talk about Samuel Alito and his, his crusade against a secular America. Right, this is from The New Yorker. It was published about three months ago. So, thoughtful essay here by Margaret Talbot. Grace, Justice Alito crusading. Another classmate of Alito's, the future Fox America. News analyst Andrew Napolitano, later offered the Princeton Alumni Weekly what might have been a more persuasive explanation. There were two types of conservatives at Princeton, those who were conservatives before Ronald Reagan and those who were conservatives after. If you told Ed Meese, Reagan's hardline attorney general, you were a member of CAP, that told him you weren't a new arrival. It was a way of saying, I'm the real thing. So much of what we do is influenced by other people. Right? So Ronald Reagan made many people conservatism cool again more socially acceptable, more popular. It's very hard to go against the crowd. For Alito, Yale Law School, too, was mined with countercultural bombs. In 2005, a member of Alito's class, Diane Kaplan, told the Yale Daily News that a lot of us were hippies, love children, political dissenters, draft dodgers. Kind of weird to hear about uh, people on the left being political dissenters when the left, you know, dominates almost all of our institutions, <laughs> right? It only dominates law schools, it, it dominates the professions, dominates law, dominates medicine, social work, dentistry, accounting. Right? The left dominates the media, much of Fortune 500 companies, non-governmental organizations, Right, the left dominates, so how exactly are people on the left, you know, these radical dissenters? She noted that Alito and his Princeton friends came to class with button-down collars and looking very serious. Well, how you dress is going to have a profound impact on you. Right, when you dress in a suit and a tie, right, that's going to affect you. So the more religious the Jew, the more likely they are to dress well, to, to dress up, to dress... You know, black suit, white shirt, that sort of thing. So, what you wear profoundly affects how you think and how you act. Alito has described his classmates as overwhelmingly liberal, but noted that there were a few of us conservatives kind of hiding. Among them, Clarence Thomas and John Bolton, who served briefly as President Donald Trump's national security advisor. Alito had come to Yale eager to study with one of his intellectual heroes, Alexander Bickle. So I am on my way to Botany Bay. Botany Bay is where Captain Cook landed in, I think, something like 1776. It's, uh, it's about four miles directly from here, but I'm going to go around the coast, so it'll be more than 10 miles probably. And we're looking out right now at Coogee. And uh, if we go about seven miles that way, we'll end up at the Sydney Opera House. So that's the plan for today. So I wanted to pause here on the rocks above this magnificent ocean, do some live streaming. A charismatic and prolific scholar who believed that the Warren Court had indulged in egregious activism. 
but Alito wasn't placed in Bickle's constitutional law class. Alito's fr- So why do so many conservatives turn left when they join professions? Because it's very hard to turn against what the majority of your profession is doing. So Warren was a Republican, but he turned left on the court. And many, many conservatives appointed to courts turn left because it's human nature to want to be popular, to go along with the crowd, to, to fit in. So I'm sitting here kind of on the edge of the cliff, and I wouldn't be feeling nearly as at ease in, say, Los Angeles or New York City or San Francisco sitting on the edge of the cliff in case some super predator came up behind me and just pushed me over. And that's what happens in New York City's people stand as far away from the platform as possible because there are so many crazy people and super predators who may very well push you in front of you know an unrushing train. Now we got some predatory insects here in Australia. So we're gonna keep an eye on them. Hope we don't see any uh, poisonous snakes. And Mark Dwyer, meanwhile, was assigned to the staunchly conservative scholar Robert Bork's course, and he later told the Times that Alito had seemed jealous. In one of the worst pairings of student and professor in course scheduling history, Alito ended up with Charles Reich, the eccentric counterculture guru who had written the best... I remember I was at acting school in 1994, and I got these four free acting classes. And so on my fourth acting class I'm not planning to sign up for more uh, they paired me with someone and the teacher said oh this this could be an explosive combination so the teacher kind of primed me to not get along with the person that I was going to do a scene with and then after we did the scene and the teacher gave his reaction I used the F word and the teacher threw me out of the class so yeah when you're primed that oh you're not going to get along with this person that can have a profound effect on you I remember when my father was kicked out of the Seventh-day Adventist ministry, 1980, I was 14 years of age, and people, some people said who knew me, oh man, how's that going to affect Luke's relationship with the church? It's just going to destroy his relationship with the church. As a 14-year-old, I was happy to allow my father's disfellowship from the Seventh-day Adventist ministry that destroyed my relationship with the church, because you know, why did I want all the restrictions that came with being a Seventh-day Adventist. We'd just gotten a TV for the first time in the summer of 1980, and I saw a lot of things on TV that I wanted, and particularly sex and fame and glitz and glory, all those secular virtues. So I was happy to leave the Seventh-day Adventist church behind and happy to have an excuse to do so. ...manifesto, The Greening of America. An excerpt appeared in this magazine. Alito, having read the book, formally requested to switch out of the class, but he was told no. Reich loved flower child sensibilities as much as Alito hated them. He even saw bell bottoms as a form of rebellion worth validating. Before joining the Yale faculty, he had been a clerk for Justice. I remember after high school, so June 1984, I decided to move to Australia for a year with my brother. And I brought a suitcase of stuff. I hadn't been turned on to crystal light at that time. But I didn't really bring any decent work clothes. And so my brother, you know, lent me a lot of his clothes so that I could go out and look for a job. And he was kind of amazed I didn't have decent clothes. I went into my brother's closet and he had all these bell bottoms. And I uh, thought, oh, I'll wear these. But my brother told me, nah, that's not on. You can't wear bell bottoms. This is 1984, not 1978. 
you wouldn't let me wear bell bottoms to a job interview. And then there was a time I was working at uh, GGA Coles, which is the equivalent of Kmart. I got a job as a stock boy. And I saw these, what looked at like slip-on shoes. You know, they like, I think they call them skeeches. I'm wearing them now, right? So shoes like these, very comfortable. You just uh, slip them on. So I saw some and I, you know, I bought some for about bucks. And uh, they were so comfortable. And uh, I walked out of work in my, in my new shoes. And uh, I don't get very far down Gundun Street in Gladstone. And people ask me, like, why I'm wearing slippers. So apparently there were slippers. There were no substitute for, for shoes. Ah, I like, uh, like common sense. Other thing that surprised me when I moved back to Australia is that almost everyone puts their clothes out to dry on a clothesline. Like in America, we always put our clothes, you know, in the dryer. But in Australia, they put it on the clothesline to save on electricity bills. That just seemed weird. I guess electricity prices were probably two, three times the equivalent of American electricity prices. They still do that. Right? Still people I live with, you know, put their clothes out on an indoor, you know, clothesline setup. And uh, the other thing I learned is that men don't blow dry their hair. I came to Australia in 1984 and was looking to borrow a hairdryer and I was taught, no, men, men don't blow dry their hair, that's for Sheila's. Hugo Black and a lawyer at elite firms. But by the time Alito arrived in his class, Reich had embarked on a long, strange trip as a public intellectual and a freewheeling seeker. Reich interviewed Jerry... What kind of people become public intellectuals? People who achieve success in one area of their life. I remember I broke the Mark Wallace HIV story in the San Fernando Valley that uh, Mark Wallace was a likely patient A, patient zero in this you know, ongoing outbreak of HIV in the, the porn industry. And uh, I was getting tens of thousands of readers to my blog every day. And uh, I feel you know, a sense of entitlement from this attention. Now I'm going to transition to being a public intellectual. I was ready to leverage my scoop about HIV in the porn industry, becoming a public intellectual. And so this Professor Reich publishes an acclaimed book about the greening of America. One of these waves is going to come up here and get me. And uh, due to all the success he got for his book, The Greening of America, but aha, I'm, on, I'm now going to become a public intellectual. So people can be very well qualified to talk about one topic, but uh, then they get an overinflated sense of their worth. Think, ah, because I'm so acclaimed talking and writing about this one topic, people probably want to know what I think about all sorts of areas where I don't have any specialty. And here I am. Back to this New York article. Sam Alito's crusade against a secular America. It's not over, guys. Sam Alito ain't done yet. Garcia for Rolling Stone. And, in a law review article criticized police harassment of citizens, folding in his own unpleasant encounters with cops. Many students were charmed and inspired by Reich. Bill and Hillary Clinton both studied with him. When Bill Clinton became president, one of his environmental initiatives was called the Greening of the White House. Alito was not one of those students. 
In appearances and interviews, he has spoken disparagingly of Reich's most bizarre course. Reich, Alito said, told his students that he had a ticket to San Francisco in his desk, and at some point during the term, it was possible that there would be a note on the bulletin board that he had gone to San Francisco, and the course would then be over. I remember how shocked I was when I got to UCLA, and I took two classes. Man, that's getting closer. took two classes with economist Russell Roberts, who graduated with a PhD from University of Chicago. He now hosts uh, the podcast Econ Talk. And I was shocked that Russell Roberts, he took off like six days for Jewish holidays. And he'd announced well in advance. Like, I couldn't imagine that someone would take all these days off work for Jewish holidays. It wasn't something we had as Seventh-day Adventists. Alito recalled that, sure enough, he returned from Thanksgiving break to find just such a note. He joked to Crystal that he was self-taught in constitutional law. At Yale, Alito's occasional hijinks seemed to have been as old school as they were at Princeton. Grace told me that Mark Dwyer... Okay, getting secular blessings from uh, Glib Medley. And secular blessings to you, too. So, I've, I've kept up with my sponsees here in Australia and I don't know about you but I need new words for things so I remember after I'd have intense sex with my girlfriend she says you know how was that for you I'd say amazing she says amazing was that all it was like she wanted like new words and so the God word as someone who's been religious almost all his life and a believer like the God word <clears throat> can get really stale for me so I've been substituting reality and so instead of talking to my sponsees or talking to myself about having a new relationship with God, I talk about let's have a new relationship with reality. And so that's a way of talking that includes secular people. Take my sponsees, please. No, I need them. I need them because in, in their journey, you know, I, I, I get inspired. And I get energy for, for my journey. So I was talking to one sponsee this morning and he'd taken on a bunch of sponsees and suddenly for that one minute that he talked about working with his four new sponsees, like he got a whole new level of strength and clarity and passion in his voice. Like his voice just transformed when he talked about the work he was doing with his sponsees. So like, I think I maybe attract a lot of sponsees who have similar problems to me with narcissism getting diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder. And so if you're narcissistic, one of the healthiest ways that you can meet your need for attention and admiration is to take on sponsees, lots and lots of sponsees. And you're working with sponsees and you're guiding sponsees. Right? That fills your need for attention and significance. It's a way to get you know, admiration. And you, know, you maybe have to do it in a healthy way that's uh, good for you, good for other people used to smoke a pipe and Sam took a rubber band and cut it up in little pieces and mixed it in with his tobacco Alito sometimes had a glass of scotch Grace recalled and Dwyer once put salt in Sam's ice cubes in December 2008 when Alito had been on the court for near so check out these ways mate really rare there are great ways could you but uh, this is an extraordinary day for surfing there's some marvelous waves out here. Like three years, he spoke at a fundraising gala in Washington for the right-wing magazine, The American Spectator. 
now that his position was secure for life, he could afford to be a little caustic about that whole 60s thing. He poked fun at the left's idealism by drawing a parallel between Barack Obama and Eugene McCarthy, the liberal icon who unsuccessfully ran for the presidency in 1968, while, in Alito's words, promising to restore hope and to bring about change. No doubt to the bafflement of many younger people in the audience, he mocked the psychedelic band Country Joe and the Fish, as well as its Vietnam War protest song, I Feel Like I'm Fixin' to Die Rag. Alito complained that for the past 40 years, there have been places in this country, sort of like the island in Jurassic Park, where it's always been 1967. But if 60s inflected views still reigned in outposts like academia, there was cause for conservative triumphalism. During the Warren Court era, Alito said, the legal vanguard had imagined that the law would move dramatically leftward, but they turned out to be wrong. To laughter, he added, to coin another phrase, sweet dreams and flying machines in pieces on the ground. Alito was quoting the James Taylor song, Fire and Rain. Those lyrics, of course, aren't about the crushing of progressive dreams. They're about Taylor's addiction struggles and a friend's suicide. But you wouldn't expect a guy Lombardo fan to know that. Ah, so the New Yorkers poking fun of Sam Alito for not sticking to the originalist intention of the writer of, of uh, what, Fire and Ice. I've seen, I've seen fire and I've seen rain. All right, so... The New Yorker is poking fun at Sam Alito for not being an originalist with regard to pop music lyrics, but simultaneously poking fun at him for being a stodgy old originalist, intentionalist with regard to the founding documents of the United States of America. So originalism for me, but not for thee, is the New Yorker critique. No matter how much individual states, cities, clinics, and activists push back against Dobbs, it will impose a fundamental, and for a majority of Americans, undesired reordering of women's reproductive lives and expectations of equality. In 1992, when the court upheld Roe in the Casey opinion, it acknowledged what is known as a reliance interest. Two decades had passed since the court had first recognized a constitutional right to abortion, and since then, as the opinion put it, people have organized intimate relationships and made choices that define their views of themselves and their places in society in reliance on the availability of abortion in the event that contraception should fail. Oh, or in the event that uh, contraception wasn't used. <laughs> so, do you think the New Yorker would be praising... U.S. Supreme Court for its adherence to a reliance doctrine, say, with regard to slavery or with regard to any practice that it finds morally reprehensible? No. So, from a New Yorker perspective, you know, the reliance doctrine is more important than the lives of tens of thousands of babies. Moreover, the ability of women to participate equally in the economic and social life of the nation has... Okay. Did you know that uh, overturning Roe v. Wade is going to bar the ability of women to participate equally in the nation? Shocking. So, different groups are different gifts, right? Obviously, the gifts of men and women are different. 
we shouldn't expect you know equality in in all things uh women can go for the gusto with their careers if they want simply they should abstain from having procreative sex right? keep your legs closed right? you won't need an abortion now, be responsible you won't need an abortion but uh, women's equality is threatened such a lame way of looking at life that you know everything has to be increasingly ever increasingly equal but uh, like a limit in calculus you know we never get there but thanks to the hectoring bullying educating function of left liberalism right, we're always being pushed more and more towards ever increasing levels of equality it's a fool's quest because people have different gifts sexes have different gifts different nations different religions different communities of different gifts and uh, ever pursuing equality is a fool's errand been facilitated by their ability to control their reproductive lives Alito's doc wait 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 can't they still control their reproductive lives simply abstain from having procreative sex say you can put it in my mouth or you can put it in my ass but you can't put it in my front door right then you can uh, control your procreative life you can control your reproduction simply abstain from having sex simply abstain from having the type of sex that leads to having babies this opinion dismissed this appraisal as an intangible form of reliance based on an empirical question that is hard for anyone and in particular for a court to assess though so it's not unknown for the Jewish girls who have horny boyfriends but want to maintain their technical virginity for their marriage limit their boyfriends to the to the mouth or the ass that's it that's where you can penetrate right because they they want to keep their virginity for marriage and on the one hand you can mock that but uh, they are reserving something special for the marriage it is a way of taking control now you're putting yourself in a dangerous situation where you know the guy in the throes of passion and you perhaps in the throes of passion may not necessarily be disciplined right when when it comes to sexual passion you know men in particular but also women are often not not so disciplined so maybe it'd be best this is so important to you to uh, sexually abstain yet millions of americans have constructed their lives with the expectation that abortion and birth control would be available well birth control is still available and uh if you fear that abortion is not going to be available in your state you can fly to another state or you can abstain from doing the things that will get you an unwanted pregnancy doesn't sound like such a horror show to me and surely part of the court's job is to ponder the likely consequences of upending such an expectation yeah there are consequences to upending the reliance expectation and there are consequences to upholding Roe v Wade and the murder of tens of thousands of babies right there's no decision of significance that does not have consequences Rachel Ribachet a law professor at Temple University who specializes in health and family law told me that courts decide all the time whether or not there are consequences to laws okay she specializes in health and family law so being very judicious about who you go to bed with would seem to me to be a key component of 
being healthy psychologically and physically right health isn't just physical it's also psychological right? the more people you go to bed with you know the more likely you are to you know, get messed up mentally socially psychologically in addition to physically seemed willing to accept the notion of reliance in only one realm property and contracts that's a really formalistic way to think about reliance a really crabbed notion of what we can know about a law's effects Rebouchet said. As the liberal justices pointed out in their dissent, the Dobbs decision endangers other Supreme Court precedents. In particular, it leaves vulnerable the cases that established unenumerated rights to privacy, intimacy, and bodily autonomy, rights that the Constitution did not explicitly name, but that previous court majorities had seen as reasonable extensions of the liberties protected by the 14th Amendment. Many Americans have also built their lives on precedents such as Griswold v. Connecticut, the 1965 case confirming the constitutional right of married couples to buy and use contraception. Well, many people have built their lives you know, with the understanding of a traditional family means a man married to a woman. Does that mean that uh, we should not have gay marriage because you know, many people rely on a particular understanding of what a family is and what a marriage is? God. These not beautiful ways, mate. We have the best ways here, don't we, folks? Loving v. Virginia, the 1967 case declaring bans on interracial marriage unconstitutional. Lawrence v. Texas, the 2003 case recognizing a right to same-sex intimacy. And Obergefell v. Hodges, the 2015 case recognizing a right to same-sex marriage. Would Alito grant that these decisions have created reliance interests? In Dobbs, Alito promised that those other precedents are safe and that abortion is different from other personal decisions because it destroys what the Mississippi law describes as an unborn human being. He insisted, nothing in this opinion should be understood to cast doubt on precedents that do not concern abortion. But Alito's assertion about the singular preciousness of a fetus does not alone create a legal standard. Neil Siegel, a Duke University law professor, told me, because I said so is not a reason, not in parenting and not in law. The anchoring logic of Alito's opinion is that rights not stipulated in the Constitution pass muster only if they have long been part of the nation's traditions. By this standard, what is to preclude the undoing of the right to same-sex marriage guaranteed by Obergefell? Oh no, that would be the worst. Oh my God, what a hellscape we live in if Oberfell was overturned. I don't even imagine that, you know, that dark, dark day. Ah, there's a, there's a swimmer. Is he on a board? Right in the middle of your screen. Yeah, he's on a board. There's some magnificent ways, mate. So all rights can change when the situation changes. dissented in that case, saying that a right to same-sex marriage was contrary to long-established tradition. Well, it is, right? There's absolutely zero precedent in history for same-sex marriage. It's an entire new innovation of the past 30 years. Indeed, Clarence Thomas, in his Dobbs concurrence, argued that the particular cases protecting same-sex marriage and intimacy, along with contraception, were very much up for reconsideration. Thomas left out loving the 
interracial marriage case. The Dobbs dissent, issued by Stephen Breyer, Elena Kagan, and Sonia Sotomayor, sharply challenged Alito's assurances. Assume the majority is sincere in saying, for whatever reason, that it will go so far and no further, they wrote, Scout's Honor. Still, the future significance of today's opinion will be decided in the future, and law often has a way of evolving without regard to original intentions, a way of actually following where logic leads. In overturning Roe, the court bolstered not only the anti-abortion movement, but also the conservative legal movement, an effort associated with the Federalist Society, which, since its founding in 1982, has promoted an originalist jurisprudence based on narrow readings of the Constitution. Well, narrow as opposed to, you know, unlimitedly flexible. <laughs> so... The, the Peshat in Jewish terminology, the plain meaning of the text, as opposed to the allegorical meaning of the text and the mystical meaning of the text. All right? So, uh, it's not, not such an absurd position. Such readings often dovetail with many conservative policy goals, from the dismantling of the regulatory state to the defense of gun rights. If Roe had been upheld, even after Trump had bloated the court with self-described originalists, who, he promised, would overturn the decision, the movement might have reached its breaking point. Last winter, J. Joel Alicia, a former Alito clerk who now teaches law at the Catholic University of America, wrote in City Journal that there was growing tension in the movement between those who saw originalism as a means to achieving some other substantive end, and those for whom it was the only legitimate constitutional methodology. Yeah, that's a pretty good breakdown, a pretty significant difference. Uh, you don't always make your arguments on the basis of what you truly believe. Uh, in public policy and public discussions, you make arguments on the basis of you know, what's going to be most effective, not necessarily what's the most true. Some conservative skeptics of originalism were particularly frustrated with a 2020 majority opinion by Justice Gorsuch, concluding, ostensibly through originalist logic, that Title VII prohibitions on employment discrimination applied to gay and transgender people. Alito dissented, declaring that the inclusion of LGBTQ people in Title VII protections will threaten freedom of religion, freedom of speech, and personal privacy and safety. Yeah, you just can't increase rights for one group right, without taking away rights for another. Increase rights for minorities, you take away rights from majorities. And so liberals look at rights as something that you can just endlessly expand. They don't look at the zero-sum nature of, of many rights. If you got a good story, who cares about facts? If you don't have the facts or the story, then what do you do? If the court's originalists couldn't even successfully deploy their approach to overturn Roe, then what good was it? Alicia wrote that, for the conservative legal movement, the stakes in Dobbs could not be higher. It was either complete victory or crisis-inducing defeat. Alito's opinion was a complete victory. An analysis in National Review hailed the decision as the movement's crowning achievement. For Alito, Dobbs was also the culmination of a 16-year effort to make his mark on the court. 
When he first became a justice, he was often portrayed as a mini-me of another Italian-American Catholic from Trenton, Antonin Scalia. Some commentators even referred to him as Scalito. But, although the two justices frequently voted together, they were different in ways both temperamental and jurisprudential. So, I think Anne Corter hated the John Roberts appointment to Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, but she liked the Sam Alito appointment. So, it turns out uh, Anne was right, if you're a conservative. Alito could be as acerbic in his writing as the irrepressible Scalia, but he rarely seemed to be having a good time. Scalia's bold commitment to originalist readings of the Constitution sometimes led him to outcomes that he, as a law and order type, didn't much like, such as supporting the First Amendment claims of a flag-burning protester or upholding the Fourth Amendment rights of criminal defendants. Alito adopted a more elastic form of originalism, which has allowed him, with plodding consistency, to arrive at results that a loyal Republican would prefer. Whereas Scalia's admirers praised his intellectual commitment to originalism, Alito's admirers in the conservative legal movement often highlight his practical approach. At a recent American Enterprise Institute conference honoring the justice's jurisprudence, Keith Whittington, a professor of politics at Princeton, said that Alito's opinions can be a little frustrating if what you're looking for and thinking about is how to draw much broader themes out of his work as far as theoretical approaches that might apply. Yeah, so what's more important to you in your jurisprudence, in your life, in your politics, in your pundits? Is it principles or interests? So it sounds like from that description that Samuel Alito puts a higher priority on his group's interests rather than on jurisprudential principles. While that other Italian-American, right, he apparently put more emphasis on principles rather than interests. So I think there's a time and a place in life where you prioritize your interests over principles. And there's a time and a place to prioritize principles over interests. And I think it should always be uh, one or the other. So Antonin Scalia apparently always prioritize the principles over interests. ...to a wide array of cases, but it was refreshing, Whittington said, to see a justice really try to tie the arguments and the logic and the application to the details of the facts of the situation. From 2006 to 2020, four liberal justices sat on the court... According to Adam Feldman of the blog Empirical Scotus, Alito is the conservative justice who has joined with the liberals on the court the least often. He never once provided them with the swing vote in a 5-4 decision. Since the 2010 term, he's joined with three liberal justices and Roberts only once in an uncontroversial case that defined the phrase tangible object. Okay, that doesn't bother me. Does that bother you that uh, Sam Alito is not reaching across the aisle? A criminal statute. This past term, Alito got the most attention from Dobbs, but he also signed on to several other 6-3 decisions that achieved right-wing goals. He joined a far-reaching decision curtailing the Environmental Protection Agency's ability to limit carbon emissions without congressional authorization. He also joined an opinion compelling Maine to subsidize the tuition of students attending religious schools and a decision that expanded the right to carry firearms in. So when I hear about Samuel Alito's decisions, they seem to pretty much mesh with my vision for America, my understanding of what is right. 
Right? They, they seem to mesh with my principles and my interests. The reversal of war and court norms may be accelerating under today's lopsided majority, but Alito has been pushing the court rightward since his arrival. Richard L. Hassan, the election law expert, told me that Alito is uniformly hostile to voting rights and his... Wow, Samuel Alito is uniformly hostile to voting rights. So does that mean he doesn't think people should have the right to vote? Somehow I, I suspect that this is there's something of an exaggeration. I, I, I don't think that uh, Sam Alito is a poor... My God, look at that wave. Look at that surfer getting smashed. It, that wave looked like it was five times taller than the surfer right in the middle of the screen. There's no turning back America to a culture of values. America is a moral vacuum like the Netherlands. Uh, I'm not ready to give up on America yet, bro. I'm an American, not an American. But I don't know how we're going to turn back the clock on secularism. I think uh, secularism, ever-increasing amounts of it, is uh, pretty much inevitable. Been a major force in the court's support for corporate spending in campaigns. Alito encouraged the filing of suits that have allowed the court to curb the power of public sector unions. He authored the 5-4 opinion in Burwell v. Hobby Lobby Stores, 2014, which exempted some companies from providing contraception coverage to their employees, and he has helped advance a new regime of jurisprudence, strengthening the rights of religious people. Oh my God, this is awful. So Sam Alito believes that... Uh might have the right not to provide free birth control to your employees and and he's expanding the rights of, of religious people shocking especially conservative Christians and especially when their beliefs conflict with anti-discrimination law oh, no. in environmental cases according to a forthcoming law review article by Lazarus a Harvard law professor Alito has joined with the side supported by environmentalists only four out of 38 times, making him the justice least likely to do so. And those votes came only in cases decided unanimously. Nevertheless, Alito's biting tone in Dobbs represented a significant change. Stephen Vladek, a constitutional law professor at the University of Texas, told me, this was not a decision that is intended to convince anybody other than the folks who support its result. And I don't mean convince them that Alito and the other conservative justices are right. I mean convince them that they're principled. Oh my God, that's so sad. So Samuel Alito and Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, they're not out there trying to convince leftists that, uh, that they have their own principles. I don't, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't bother me if uh, Sam Alito is not trying to convinced leftists that he's principled. Dobbs revealed a block of justices who are increasingly untroubled by the declining public perception of the court because they think it's just pissed off progressives. Oh, you mean there are justices now on the court who believe in doing what is right rather than being popular? So you could just frame it that way. You now have justices who are more interested in doing what is right than in being popular. Sounds good to me. It's not just pissed off progressives. Since 2000, as a recent study in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences found, the court is estimated to have moved to the ideological right of roughly three quarters of all Americans. 
Okay, so when the court is to the left, right? I, I don't recall left-wing media wailing and gnashing their teeth that the courts have, have gotten out of touch with ordinary Americans. Like ordinary Americans have you know, passed all sorts of referendums, such as 187, hence providing benefits to illegal aliens, or Amendment 2 in Colorado, which uh, gave people exemptions from you know, anti-gay discrimination laws. Right? The will of the people has spoken. Left-wing courts overturned it, said it was unconstitutional. I just don't remember. I, I read the news back then. I don't remember a whole lot of wailing and gnashing of teeth that uh, the court has you know, fallen out of touch with regular Americans. In 2005, not long after Justice Sandra Day O'Connor decided to retire, President George W. Bush nominated Harriet Myers, the White House counsel and his longtime friend, to fill the vacancy. Congressional Republicans and Christian conservatives quickly turned against Myers, igniting what Bush describes in his memoir as a firestorm. Myers was insufficiently fancy, as Bush puts it. She lacked an Ivy League degree, and she hadn't been an appellate judge or a legal academic. Although she was an evangelical Christian, Myers was further damaged by fears that she was not anti-choice enough. She had once argued that self-determination mattered when it came to abortion. Bush's nomination of his confidant also smacked of cronyism. But, according to Anne Southworth, a law professor at UC Irvine who has studied the Federalist Society, a major part of what tanked her is that she was not seen as having come up through the conservative legal movement. Robert Bork told NPR that Meyer's selection was a blow to a movement that's been building up for 20 years and now has a great many people who are qualified for the court, but all of whom have been passed over. Bush soon withdrew Meyer's nomination. Bush turned next to Alito, partly because Myers had recommended him. Still, when the men met at the White House, Bush found him as reserved as they come and ill at ease. For the previous 15 years, Alito had been a federal court of appeals judge on the Third Circuit. As he later recollected in an onstage interview at Duke, his professional life in that role had been almost monastic. My days consist... So... If uh, the left controls institutions, right? if the left controls, dominates the means of cultural production, then one would expect fewer elite people to be right-wing. And it's very hard to succeed in institutions that are dominated by a left-wing ideology when you are right-wing. So to get the, the credentials that would impress the left, it would mean you'd have to go into enemy territory and... Uh, Drive there. Not easy to do. To the office, walking up to my chambers, reading and writing, talking to no human beings except my assistants and my law clerks, getting back in my car, driving home, and doing the same thing the next day. Every once in a while, there'd be an oral argument, maybe once every six and a half weeks. Bush finally broke the ice with Alito by discussing baseball. Alito was such a Philadelphia Phillies fan that he had once spent a week at the team's fantasy camp, a Christmas gift from his wife, Martha Ann Alito, a former law librarian. They have two children, Philip, a lawyer, and Laura, a marketing executive. Unlike Myers, Alito had an extensive judicial record that included abortion cases. As Look, there are seasons in a man's life, right? So from about age 22 to 39... Most men are incredibly intent on building their kingdom. 
Now, a lot of big mockers when I lived in Brentwood back then in the 80s, many were still Republicans, but culturally they were liberal today, the elite of, uh, of Brentwood and 98% Democrats as the chat. So I'm trying to think, oh, wow, almost lost my iPhone into the ocean. Uh, and I'm paying for everything with my iPhone here. Just would use Apple Pay for everything. That would have been an absolute disaster. So, yeah, Alison Armstrong talks about the seasons of a man's life. At 22 to 39, you're intent on building your kingdom. And then, then you move into your, I think she calls it your prince stage, right? And uh, the older men get, you know, the, the more they want recognition and praise. And you'll never work as hard as you did 22 to 39. That's when you're building your kingdom. After that, you move into your prince and your king stage where you sit back and just want to rule your kingdom and you want to be recognized and you want to be praised and you want to be appreciated. But uh, 22 to 39, which is you know, probably the time period that uh, Samuel Alito was talking about there, that men typically are absolutely fixated on building their careers. And that's normal, natural, and healthy. As men move into their 40s and 50s, they start making more time for their hobbies, their interests, their friends, their families. Appellate court judge, he was the sole dissenter in a 1991 case that struck down a portion of a Pennsylvania law requiring women, with few exceptions, to notify their husbands before obtaining an abortion. A year later, that case made it to the Supreme Court. As Casey, the justices decided that the spousal notification an undue Equally reassuring to conservatives was Alito's service in the Reagan administration's Justice Department. Under Edwin Meese, it had attracted young lawyers itching to roll back abortion rights, certain protections for criminal defendants, and affirmative action, which the administration portrayed as reverse discrimination against whites. Alito had joined the Justice Department in 1981, working in the office of the Solicitor General. Many of his colleagues were civil servants who didn't share his political views. Alito has said that he was initially a secret conservative. In 1985, he began slipping out of the office to attend monthly lunch meetings hosted by the Federalist Society. Yeah, if you think that uh, most people around you are hostile to conservatives, then it would make sense that you would hide your conservatism. But when you feel safe, secure, confident, uh, you're going to be more out with your conservatism. It's not just uh, homosexuals who have to hide who they are. At a Chinese restaurant called The Empress. At one such gathering, he ran into Charles Freed, then the acting solicitor general. Oh, what a surprise to see you here, Freed said. This is like meeting a friend at a bordello. Freed, now a law professor at Harvard, told me that Alito had been a pleasant and cultivated colleague and a fine writer who helped him craft arguments for government cases before the Supreme Court. At the time, the Reagan administration was pushing the idea that affirmative action policies should have victim specificity, benefiting only individuals directly subjected to discrimination. Alito, Freed recalled, came up with some choice lines, such as... Henry Aaron would not be regarded as the all-time home run king, and he would not be a model for youth if the fences had been moved in whenever he came to the plate. They're for fail. Yeah, ambitious men are likely to hide their cons conservative thinking, says the uh, chat. Right? 
their section, Persian Jewish men, because they have a healthy view of what it means to be their own man. That's true. Yeah, Persian Jews don't, uh, don't try to hide their MAGA or conservative or right-wing tendencies. In 1986, the court repudiated victim specificity, declaring the purpose of affirmative action is not to make identified victims whole, but rather to dismantle prior patterns of employment discrimination and to prevent discrimination in the future. Yeah, and there's no evidence that there's ever you know, significant discrimination. Right? The reason that different groups get different life results is that they have different gifts. Right? Employers weren't leaving millions of dollars on the table by you know, being racially bigoted. Capitalism doesn't work that way. Persian women expect men to be willful and forceful about their weight and their opinions. I really like Persians, both Persian men and Persian women. While at the Solicitor General's office, Alito wrote a memo defending police officers' right to shoot fleeing suspects regardless of the threat they posed. The case involved a 15-year-old black boy Edward Garner, who, according to Alito's memo, was killed by a Memphis police officer who could see that his target did not appear to be armed. Garner was carrying a purse containing $10. An appellate court had upheld a civil rights case brought by Garner's father against the Memphis police department and city officials. The state of Tennessee was now appealing to the Supreme Court. Alito wrote... Any rule permitting the use of deadly force to stop a fleeing suspect must rest on the general principle that the state is justified in using whatever force is necessary to enforce its laws. Yeah, I think I side with Sam Alito there. I think most of the time, my chat says, I grew up in a predominantly Ashkenazi family, so I'm Sephardic ancestry. My family is mostly Ashkenazi, very liberal. I'm one of the few exceptions, and I take a lot of heat for this. Now, I think that most of the time when uh, police shoot a fleeing suspect, the world is better off. Right? Most uh, police suspects who run away from police are not particularly righteous people. Right? They're usually bad guys. Assuming that a fleeing felony suspect is entirely rational, what he is saying, in effect, is kill me or allow me to escape, at least for now. If every suspect could evade arrest by putting the state to this choice, societal order would quickly break down. Yeah, I agree with, with Sam Alito. Right. The, the majority view now among elites is that uh, black people should not be arrested unless they consent to be arrested. But if they resist arrest, then uh, police are not allowed to use any force whatsoever. They simply decline, no, I don't think I want to be arrested today, then uh, police should just leave them alone. The Supreme Court sided with Garner's father. Writing for the majority, Justice Byron White declared, it is not better that all felony suspects die than that they escape. At the Justice Department, Alito also became friendly with Charles Cooper, a hardline conservative deputy in the Civil Rights Division. Fleeing suspects shouldn't think twice about shooting anyone in the back and carjacking them. Cops should be allowed to. Yeah. We're talking about super predators here. We're talking about mainly bad guys. In 2013, with Alito on the Supreme Court, Cooper argued against same-sex marriage. In 1985, Cooper was asked to leave the Justice Department's Office of Legal Counsel, and he urged Alito to apply to become his deputy. Alito pursued the position, candidly declaring in a memo, I am and always have been a conservative and an adherent to the same philosophical views that I believe are central to this administration. 
He'd even tried to write commentary for right-wing magazines, though his submissions to outlets such as National Review and The American Spectator were rejected. In the memo, Alito noted that he was particularly proud of my contributions in recent cases in which the government has argued in the Supreme Court that racial and ethnic quotas should not be allowed and that the Constitution does not protect a right to abortion. Alito got the promotion. Among the Reagan administration policies that he helped promulgate was one shielding employees who fired people with AIDS because of fear of contagion, whether reasonable or not. In 1986, Alito told the Washington... Yeah, boy. Elliot laughed. It's pretty sad that uh, that wasn't held up, right? So, if someone's got a deadly disease, like, you should be legally forced to not discriminate against them in, in any way. Like, if someone's got, like, nasty postures on their face, you're not allowed to discriminate against them. Like, it just simply makes you uncomfortable, creeps you out, right? What about the, you know, the threat of uh, some accidents and, uh, and their blood, trip and fall in the workplace, transmitting HIV? I think people should be able to hire who they want, but for whatever reason, because there should be a sense of comfort in the workplace. The workplace is going to be much more efficient if people are comfortable there. Right. Your team is going to do much better work. Everyone's going to be happier if you're comfortable with the other people in the office. In Los Angeles, there are 4,000 police on duty at any time. There are at least 100,000 gang members. That's only a fraction of the bad actors on the streets of L.A. Yeah, good point. That's uh, why I probably wouldn't stand here in, in L.A. There are just not more bad guys. How to do mischief. But uh, Sydney's one of the safest big cities in the world. Absolute pleasure to be here. Post. We certainly did not want to encourage irrational discrimination, but we had to interpret the law as it stands. And extant laws did not regulate what a private employer can do if he has a fear of a contagious disease. A liberal former colleague of Alito's from the Solicitor General's office told me that in the 80s, Alito had seemed like an establishment Republican, someone who wouldn't put ideology above the proper functioning of the system, which I thought stare decisis was a big piece of. So, no, I haven't seen any crack houses in Sydney. Those baddies are priced out. Yeah, they can't afford uh, the eastern suburbs. So people on the eastern suburbs, uh, they talk about western Sydney, right? Like inland, like it's a dangerous wild west kind of place. So, yeah, on the eastern suburbs of Sydney, the housing prices discriminate so you don't have to. Stare decisis, Latin for let the decision stand, is the doctrinal preference for upholding precedence. The colleague observed, the SG's office maintained a kind of cult of smartness. You couldn't be thinking too weirdly. There was this elite meritocracy that, we thought, dissolved hard ideological tensions. These assumptions now struck the colleague as naive. Elite yeah, of course there are going to be ideologies, even when the emphasis is on competence. Right? You can't live without a hero system. Right? You can't live without some way of conceiving of yourself as heroic. And that means loyalty to a particular community or to your own greatness. 
there's no you know, non-ideological approach to the law. Oh, was always very tightly wrapped, he recalled, adding, I now wonder what he was thinking all those times he didn't say anything. At Alito's Supreme Court confirmation hearings, he performed with steely equanimity. Andrew Napolitano, his former college classmate, told the Princeton Alumni Weekly that he knew Alito would maintain his composure, joking, he doesn't have a temper to lose. Alito said all the things about Roe and Casey that anti-abortion jurists must say to ensure confirmation. He called stare decisis a fundamental part of our legal system. When Senator Arlen Specter, a Republican at the time, asked him if Casey qualified as a super precedent, he responded with a wan witticism. I personally would not get into classifying precedents as super precedents or super duper precedents or any sort of categorization like that. It sort of reminds me of the size of laundry detergent in the supermarket. I agree with the underlying thought that when a precedent is reaffirmed, that strengthens the precedent. Oh, just imagine Sam Alito said the things he needed to say to get to the places he wanted to go. Unbelievable. Alito said that his Reagan-era assertion that the Constitution didn't guarantee a right to abortion was merely what I thought in 1985, from my vantage point in 1985. He told the Democratic Senator Chuck Schumer that if the abortion issue came before him on the court, he would first apply stare decisis. If he got beyond that, he would go through the whole judicial decision-making process before reaching a conclusion. When Schumer asked if he still doubted that a right to abortion could be derived from the Constitution, Alito deflected by protesting, you are asking me how I would decide an issue. Alito acknowledged that he held traditional values, but in the mildest terms. He said that he believed in defending the ability to raise children the way you want, and in students' right to express their religious views at school. Some of Alito's supporters from this period now wonder how much of the tepid persona he projected back then was genuine. Oh, this is shocking. Absolutely shocking. He projected the persona that he thought would be most effective. Okay, most of us do that. Right? Most of us project a persona in a job interview that's not necessarily 100% authentic to how we're going to conduct ourselves at work. And employers in a job interview don't present the job in a way that's 100% authentic to what the job will actually be. Okay, I'm going to resume my hike to Botany Bay. Talk to you later.